Hey, looking for something to read? Tired of all those published authors with their fancy publishing deals and books you have to pay for? Check out Bob Moore, No Hero by Tom Andre. It's free. It's short. And there are two full-length sequels you can pay for if you're into that sort of thing. Bob Moore. Find out more about the PI that investigates superheroes at www.tomandry.com slash books. Welcome to another edition of AV Rant. I'm Tom Andry and I'm here with... Rob H., this is AV Rant. It's your home theater and AV questions answered. Uh, many things conspired against us this week, so we're recording on a different day and time and having technical fun on both ends, so here comes this podcast. Apparently right. I have a short in my wire to my power supply for my yes, outboard uh, mic thingy. God, yep. but it's a preamp. Come on, Tom, <laughs> you're, an AV, you're supposed pr- to be an AV expert. It's prime time for me, so my internet is dependent on what everybody else in my apartment building is doing. It's going to be fun. Apparently, they're all streaming. They're all streaming Atmos, as yep. Canadians are wont to do. That's right. All right. <laughs> this is AV Rant, the podcast that answers your home theater and AV questions. To get your questions answered, all you have to do is ask us by emailing us at question at avrant.com. You go to avrant.com, leave us a comment there. For now, I'm about to turn that crap off. Though I understand at the end of this month, I'm going to be switching it over to a new server, and maybe things Ooh. will be better. That would be know. cool. Anybody want to redesign our website for us? <laughs> You've uh, been asking for a while. Uh, that's not going to happen, clearly. Clearly, all, the, all our AV people are not into WordPress. It's <laughs> 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 fine. Oh my God, Rob! Your bit rate is for real. It's, this is going to be a. I didn't even say anything. What's going on? I didn't say I, anything. You laughed at what I said, and it just kept going. Oh, okay. <laughs> so good times. Good times. All right. Uh, uh, YouTube dot oh Facebook dot com slash AV Rant Podcast. YouTube dot com slash AV Rant to watch our videos because you can't comment on them. Uh, you can go to uh, contact us directly, Rob at avrent.com. His Twitter's at first reflect. I'm Tom at avrent.com. My Twitter is at avrent underscore Tom. So I want to thank our listeners of the week to start with. Become the listener of the week. You do that by supporting the podcast in some way. One of the ways you can do that is going to avrent.com. Click on the Buy Us a Cup of Coffee link and send us a PayPal donation. That goes into our coffers to help pay for all the stuffs that we need. Mm-hmm. We need the stuffs. Like hosting this new server is going to cost more money than what I was paying, which was zero. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, I'm also going to pay for email or something. I understand to, in order for us not to lose our email accounts. So, oh, okay. I don't know. It's going to be, I don't know if you be take care of all of that. Cost. So <laughs> we want to thank Roger for doing that. So thank you, Roger, for being our listener of the week on uh, PayPal. Yes, Roger. Thank you very much for donating via PayPal. We appreciate it. And if you want to, use the service called patreon patreon.com slash podcast we have uh, 106 patrons currently most recent one of the most recent of which was jeff who says he guilt finally forced him to end his deadbeat and that was his word not ours status that's right that's in quotes so he so he challenges everyone else who has been listening for a long time but never donated to throw a dollar or two our way for all the education clarification and entertainment that we provide. So thank you very much, Jeff, and the other 105 patrons over at Patreon.com. Patreon is a serve. It's like you're subscribing. So every yep. month. Voluntary you're, you, you, subscription. However much you think we're worth. 
That's right. That's so right. thank you very much. Patreon.com slash Podcast. if you would like to sign up. And thank you to our 106 patrons. Jeff, thank you for being one of them. Yes, and we talked last month or two about how we were trying to get to 100 patrons. Now we're at mm-hmm. what, 106. So like it's a new we're a whole new world. That's right. Uh, and Now uh, we got to get to 200. <laughs> yeah. That was a lot of things. Syllable sounds you made. <laughs> that was that's that's one frame per second, people. If you're listening, mm. to, if you're watching this on YouTube, that's what it looks like. Uh, so uh, our, we had a listener, Andrew, who offered to provide a model of uh, a number of. He had a bunch of options uh, available, of different uh, space theme things that he would build for one listener once we reached 100 so we reached 100 we picked a listener his name was turn toast is what we knew him as but his real name is joseph so we got them in contact with each other and uh joseph will be getting a model x-wing so congratulations to joseph that's right uh congrats joseph uh thank you very much andrew and yeah uh this is this is sorry folks this technical thing is rough so i don't know tom and i can barely hear each other so we're gonna muddle through we're gonna try there's a picture of an we x-wing got, if you this come is to we're doing it we the, we're there is no me doing this again there's tomorrow, no other time I, yes tomorrow at 9 a.m well at 7 30 a.m i have toastmasters from 7 30 to 8 30 at 9 a.m i get home and the ac guys are showing up to replace my ac and God I think it's mostly Skype because everything else is going okay. It's it's Skype that's screwing up. <sighs> well, thanks Microsoft. Yep, it's, can't do audio there right on the Xbox. And was just Skype, another so big Windows update, so it kind of makes sense. <sighs> yeah. All right. Well, we've been talking about this a little bit. I think have we talked about this? We have at right? least once. Uh, we were having inter- yeah interview with Alan Hutchinson. Hutchinson. That's his name. That's the name. He's the owner of HGMarket.com. And on February 19th, we will be interviewing... Someone will be interviewing him. I just found out that I'm going to be on a plane. So I don't Uh. know what we're going to do about that. But uh, (laughs) we're going to be discussing home theater seating and other things that they sell there. But also mostly the home theater seating. Because that's the part of that website that we like the best. Uh, So maybe it'll just be Rob and Alan talking to each other about that. Which would be fine. But I, I just found out... to. Yes, to, today's Wednesday, yesterday, that I am going to be on the plane on. I'll be close to you, though. So okay. maybe maybe you can come down. I'll be there for Portland's uh, two, not two that days. close. It's, that's, that's it's quite a, a ways. It's a lot closer than Florida. It's a lot closer than Florida, but it is not what I would call close to Vancouver, Canada. Everything's <laughs> close relative to the sun, I suppose. Yes, that's right. All right. In the news, Bluetooth LE or low energy audio is on the way. So LE is something that has been around for a bit hasn't it I feel like but it has. not for audio that's that's what's new ah all right so longer battery life is the most obvious advantage but along with the new standard there's a new codec to lc3 low complexity communications co- oh lc superscript three it could it. be although they've Lo- just written it as lc3 everywhere so whatever low complexity communications codec that will supposedly allow 50 percent lower bit rates to deliver the same audio quality. All right. There's also the additions of multi-stream broadcast and direct communi- uh, connections to hearing aids, which is extremely important uh, and getting more and more uh, important as you uh, more and more like public buildings and yep. churches and stuff adopt that. Yep, so for sure. that's pretty cool. Yeah, and the broadcast thing is cool because one source to many Bluetooth sync devices right. uh, will definitely be something useful in public spaces. All right, Carl says Super Bowl 54 is coming up. Whee! Who's playing? 
49ers are one of the teams. <laughs> I am not into NFL. I'm sorry. It's all right. Uh, I'm like, there's got to be room in my American brain here. for all the model numbers and it's nfl sports teams that uh gets replaced that's, that's not the only thing that gets replaced i'm sure but anyways <laughs> 54 is coming up and spot and fox sports is making it available in 4k hdr seen that posted the comprehensive guide explaining all the ways to watch it in 4k hdr but as a reminder the cameras are actually still 1080p but they're a 1080p with hlg hdr and the broadcast is being upscaled to 4k so that you have a reason to tell your wife you need 4k when it's really not 4k that's but right whatever so if you subscribe to one of the listed cable or satellite services and you have their requ- requisite 4K hardware and the correct channel package, you're set. But for most other people, the Fox Sports app, the Fox Sports app, not far- Fox Sports Go or Fox Sports Now, not, none of those, because got. Oh. I mean, obviously, not not those. <laughs> Why would you think it would be the Sports Go or the Sports Now? It's clearly the Sports app. Is uh, probably your best bet. If that if you find that confusing, then you know, duh. But be careful. Uh, carefully check the list of supported hardware. For example, the four, Apple TV 4K will show you 4K, but not HDR. Yeah. So you know, <laughs> it's mostly Roku devices that look like they're ready for this. Uh, and okay. A couple of the Amazon Fire. What devices. about Nvidia? Nope. Not no there. Nvidia. All right. All right. Sorry, all you people who we led astray. I know. My top <laughs> did, two favorite but... ones, they're not going to do it. Nope. Sorry, guys. <laughs> we tried. Uh, comments. Lee just wanted to weigh in on the Epson 5040 UB reliability issue. Have we talked about this already, or did I only read this? It has been brought we up. It's been this. on the podcast. Has it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, it has. All right. So anyways, uh, the 5040 UB. By the way, I still would totally buy this if it was 1000 Twelve hundred dollars. I don't. Yeah. I still don't care about this reliability issue. But uh, this is his take. He bought a, a fifty forty UB in November twenty seventeen. Its power supply died May eighteen twenty eighteen. Epson replaced it right away and started his warranty period over. Now beginning in May, the replacement lasted until January twenty twenty. Now its cinema color filter is stuck and can't move. I don't even know how you know that. Whatever. So Epson is sending him a third 5040 UB. Dude, you keep doing this, they're going to run out of 5040s. You're going to get a 50-50 whether you like it or not. So Lee isn't impressed regarding his 5040 UB's reliability, but Epson has been hassle-free and quickly replaced his problem units both times. As long as they keep replacing them for free, he hasn't been able to justify buying a new projector for just 4K60 with HDR. So, yeah, I mean, I guess you don't want... a what you want is your companies to stand behind their products, okay? That's yes. what you want more than anything. What you want them to do is not have to stand behind their products. But if something does, if they do put out something that has some issues, them standing behind it is the number one thing you want them to do. And clearly Epson's doing that in more than one report for, at least on this podcast. So, you know, I'd still buy it. I'd buy it in a second. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they crunch the numbers, and if it's going to cost them more to keep replacing the people who contact them versus doing a full recall, then they'll do the full recall. But as long as it costs them less to just keep replacing them under warranty as people call in, then that is what they will do. So, I'm down. It? All right, let's get to the questions here. Uh, it's very late here. It's it's ten. It's 10 p.m. and we're going to be going to almost midnight. So, and I've been going for a while. So, I may get punchy and I may okay. stop the podcast before Rob's comfortable with it. But <laughs> you know, 
Come at me, Canadian. I don't care. Jeremy. Jeremy says quite a while back that we discussed his living room setup where he was using all in-wall triad speakers and an in an in-wall subwoofers. This is the one you don't remember probably because this was a long time ago. It looks like a fireplace, but it's ra- it's actually a built-in TV into the That's wall. Right. And there's three triad speakers in wall above it, but the wall is angled slightly, so it's they're kind of angled down towards them. The two in wall subs are like below the front left and right speakers. Flanking the TV, which so it looks like he has a big black blank uh, fireplace in front of him, and then five black boxes. I mean, I don't yep. know why they didn't get they didn't get uh, paintable grills or something so they could paint the grills on these things, but they didn't. So this is what this. And I'm not talking about him. I think this was custom installed, you know, like part of the house or whatever. So I don't think he did this. But anyways, it doesn't matter. So we went over his issues at the time and highly encouraged him to switch to regular or on-wall speakers. In the meantime, he built a full theater downstairs with a curtain skirt that we liked so much. So that was the thing around the bottom. He just, you know, put a skirt around the bottom of his, his, his wall and just hides his wire behind that, which is stupidly easy and why didn't we think of it <laughs> and it looks it looks good and yeah makes it very easy to run your wires without punching holes in walls good idea all right max hit <laughs> good job max headroom thanks for that report uh and with that, I, no one's gonna get this in the podcast because we're recording our audio locally but it's kind of funny on my end <laughs> but with that completed he sold oh what's going on here he sold almost all of his triad in wall speakers and just used a samsung soundbar upstairs in the living room instead and he was quite content but now he's feeling the soundbar isn't cutting it he never sold or removed the two in wall subs they are still in the front wall flanking his tv just sitting there unused and he still has one of the triad in wall speakers although it's been it the it has been removed and all the former holes for the speakers have been patched so he took all the speakers out and patched them all, but he's got one left. So he's yeah. considering getting a single triad in-wall speaker to make a pair and installing them, this time on either side of his TV, just above the in-wall subs. He'd use a phantom center in this case. He's not going to get another one. So that would have to sound better than the Samsung soundbar, right? Why don't you just use the soundbar with the subs? Uh, because how do you get the subwoofer signal out of a soundbar that's got a wireless sub that's part of the package? Uh, oh, most soundbars don't have, yeah, most soundbars don't have a separate no. subwoofer output. They're just automatically wirelessly connected to what came packed in the package. As I recall it, I some of the issue of why he was doing this in the first place was that he I was getting like it. literal rattles and bad sounds and stuff from these things being in his wall. So I'm like, well, it's going to be the return of that if you do it. If that problem was there before, that's not going to change unless it wasn't the subwoofers and it was only the speakers. But I suspect it was the subwoofers. Um, could have been the installation. Uh, it could have been. been. I mean, it, yeah. But I don't think he changed uh, I mean, the subs, just, so... <laughs> I, 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 I don't hate I, 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 I want to say I hate this idea but I can't say I hate it I, I don't necessarily think okay so the, the wall subs are already there uh, at the very least what I would do if you can is figure out how to send them a signal an amplified signal and then send it an amplified signal and remind yourself what that sounded like so if if the subwoofers are an issue you should know that right away and just just send them uh you know some sweeps and make it loud you know uh 
I don't know. I don't remember if these were powered in wall subs. They probably weren't. They probably had an external amp. You may or may not still have that. It may be a big deal to do what I'm suggesting, but it may not. So if you can yeah. easily send a signal to these subwoofers, you know, send some sweeps uh, and see just what they're doing and, and how bad they are. Uh, I don't know any reason why you have to go try it again. I know you have one, but I think for the price of the one that you might sell, you know, I, I, I'm guessing he only has one left because no one wanted one. <laughs> Somebody wanted that's two. Right, yeah, whatever so number bought whoever two. bought them. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So um, get, get, yeah. finding a, another single one to buy is probably not going to be a trivial thing anyway. So you may just kind of be out of luck buying new in wall, on wall, that sort of thing. Anyway. Yeah. So I don't know how uh, in favor I am of doing the triad in wells. Yeah, I agree with Tom. Uh, do the test. Make sure that they're not going to give you the same problems of noise that you had before. But um, even if you don't do the in wells, you could just go with on walls from somebody else. You could get some of the like the Klipsch reference premiere on walls that we really like. So um, something like that. Yeah. If the soundbar isn't cutting it, then we have to replace it with something. So yeah, there you go. Yeah. And then, I mean, there's lots of stuff. I would just get bookshelf speakers and you know a regular sub and put it someplace but that's just me okay. <laughs> you know i mean i don't remember he doesn't seem like he's sitting very far from this thing if i if i remember correctly it, it looks like the it's very <laughs> we gotta to go tell. faster man we, we're gonna get through like three questions at this pace <laughs> that's all right so all of this gear is in a rack his rack downstairs and he, well rob the problem is is i can't hear anything you're saying so i'm trying to uh, to make this thing well maybe we should pause and i should reset here because i think there's something going wrong with my router so do you want to? It might be, but let's finish this question at least. Yeah. All of his gear is in his rack downstairs, and he uses Control 4 throughout his house to control everything. However, his his uh, he has his Xbox One hidden behind his TV upstairs since it needs to be uh, close for the wireless controllers. He also has an Apple TV 4K hidden behind his t- upstairs TV. He was thinking with the 2.2 speaker system upstairs, he could plug these two HDMI sources directly into his upstairs TV and then just run the TV's optical output uh, audio output down to his rack, right? He'd be using a receiver, which would he would then like uh, he would like to keep in his gear rack. So rather than messing with installing a long HDMI cable or using Ethernet converters, either of which would be a non-trivial installation in his, in his case, a simple audio uh, optical audio cable would work for this. Correct? Yeah. So he doesn't have any with... HDMI stuff downstairs. Uh, no, I mean, he does for the his rack? theater, but he doesn't have, uh, like, it would, he'd have to run a cable all the way up the wall somewhere. So he's, um, uh, like, doing it, an optical is going to be a lot easier because yeah, I don't be know fine. if he has a conduit or something like that. If you're sticking with a two channel signal, then optical is totally fine. So if that's easy to do, then yeah, by all means. Yeah, so he's thinking of using it. He'd use a Denon X1600H. It has to be a model that works with Control 4, which all the X series, uh, Denon X series models do. And for 2.2, he doesn't need anything fancy, right? If he gets an Xbox Series X and yeah, he needs HDMI 2.1 for the video, he'll be able to plug that straight into the TV, run the audio down to the Denon via optical, and it'd, be, it'd all be easier this way, correct? Yeah, again, be, sticking yeah. sticking with uh, yeah. with two point uh, two point zero audio coming out of any of your sources, then yeah, you're, that's I mean that's coming out separately from whatever the video signal. So if you update your display, you have an HDMI two point one display, you have HDMI two point one sources. The video can be sent directly from source to display, and the audio can be sent separately via optical. So that would be the case for a soundbar too, though. 
because I mean, yeah. most soundbars, if you're feeding them 5.1, you're going to be fine. So, yeah. So, what about Atmos virtualization and DTS Virtual X? Can those work with just a two channel signal, or do you have to send a, a, the full Atmos or DTS X signal? And then it just applies the virtualization when you don't have any physical overhead speakers. Is that so important and good <laughs> that it would be worth the hassle of running a long HDMI cable or installing Ethernet adapters down to his rack? Uh, I. No, 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 <laughs> and especially not with a two point two. Yeah. Like um, the 2. virtualization, not optimally placed subs and everything else. Yeah, yeah, the virtualization does require the original Atmos or DTSX signal. That's what it's using to do the decoding, and then virtually creating overhead speakers instead of have physically having ones or upward firing ones. Uh, but no, there's no way that with two point two speakers that the virtualization is so good that uh, if running an HDMI cable is a hassle, it's worth doing yeah no so instead of running i'm sorry instead of a dead end x 1600 h should he consider a stereo only integrated amp maybe a marantz nr 1200 or other particular receiver model we'd recommend i'd recommend the cheapest possible thing that does the thing you want it to do because <laughs> the i mean i it, it's you it doesn't need to do anything. We don't care about uh, room correction because nothing is going to be placed in a way that's going to make any difference. <laughs> room correction is not something you're worried about up here. You're just worried about getting a signal and making it play out of some some subset of speakers. So make sure it does that. And because and, you're just running optical to it, then I mean... Yeah, and you're only I mean, powering it, right? two speakers from the receiver itself. So, I mean, even a very basic amplifier can run two speakers. You're not asking it to do right. anything difficult. Triads are easy to drive. So I think the 1600 is a good way to go. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily step all the way down to just a stereo-only integrated because they cost just as much. In fact, I think the NR1200 costs more than the X1600. So that makes no sense. Why would you pay more for right. fewer features? Well, and if you go something like a more esoteric brand, then you're going to pay more for a two-channel thing that doesn't do base management. <laughs> gonna, That's right. And then we're going to be mad at you about that. All right. So you want to try to fix your thing, or what are you going to do here? Well, how bad is it over there? Is it still bad? It's not terrible. It's Well, let's it's try to muddle through. It feels, like it's, it feels like it's getting better. All right. <laughs> no. Joe. Joe has Morant's receiver. What should the subwoofer mode be setting be? LFE or LFE plus mains? All of his speakers are set to small with the 80 hertz crossover. The description of the manual makes it seem as though either settings will do the same thing when the speakers are set this way. So can we explain? I mean, yeah. I think that that if they are both set... I mean, if, they're, if you set everything to small, then LFE plus main doesn't do anything for you. But you should have it set to LFE. Yeah, just regular LFE is the correct setting. Uh, having all your speakers set to small is correct. It should take all the bass that is from all the speakers that are set to small, which is all of your speakers, combine right. that bass that it has extracted from all of your speaker channels with the dedicated LFE signal and output all of that from the sub output. So LFE is the correct setting. And then we'll get into the one little instance that he's come across on the next question. All right. So if if he had something set to large, then the LFE plus main setting would make it so that your mains also got your LFE signal as well, or the the large speakers, which are always your mains. That's so, right, and yeah. the subwoofer Anyways. would also get some of the bass from the tower speakers that have been, or the front speakers that have been set too large, or actually any of the speakers that have been set too large. So it is kind of doubling things up, as the name implies. Right. Right, which we don't want it to happen anyways, but it wouldn't happen because everything's set to small, so 
your, your Gucci either way, but set it to LFE. So uh, there are a separate group of settings for just two-channel playback. Should anything be set differently there? Like, do you have different speakers? Because <laughs> if not, <laughs> then they should be set the same. <laughs> yeah, keep it the same. That one's good. So when playing around with the different listening modes, he he liked that Direct would just play back any source with the exact number of speakers that are used in the original recording. But for two-channel music, this subwoofer was not active when using Direct listening mode. He found that if he set the subwoofer mode setting to LFE plus main, his subwoofer became active in Direct mode. So is that the correct thing to do? I don't understand why this is happening this way. Why it, it sounds to me like he's got he's not in direct. He's in pure direct, but it, maybe I'm wrong. No, because uh, direct does of? the same thing. Direct just literally takes whatever the incoming signal is. In his case, if it's two channel, that is two full range channels, and it just plays it as is. Even if you've set your front left right speakers to small, it's like well, all I've got is front left and right signals, and all they're going to play out of are the front left and right speakers. Now, if you do the LFE plus uh, main setting for the subwoofer output, yeah, that does do this little thing where it allows you to use the direct listening mode, uh, and it will act as though your front speakers are full range, but it will still duplicate that bass within the subwoofer. But the solution here is to not use the direct listening mode. Use the stereo listening <laughs> mode. That's what you want to do. Yeah, I agree I, with that. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think stereo listening mode does the same. It does the, what you want, which is you want two channels to come out of two channels, you know, when you're having two channels, but you still want your subwoofer to be active. You want That's that right. Base, base managed, managed because the direct is not base managing it. It is just duplicating right. the base. So we don't want that. Use the stereo listening mode and that will properly base manage your two channel signals. So he asked, what's the difference between direct and pure direct? And should he always opt for direct if he wants to hear things exactly as they were recorded? Uh, if you want to hear them as the sound engineer theoretically meant them to be heard you should be using the mode that does all the correct bass management and also applies all the odyssey stuff yeah what you can do is um so on in the case of morant it's uh on your remote um you have the four different listening mode buttons that allow you to choose which listening mode you're using uh so there is the one that says i believe it says it either says pure or it says direct. I forget what it says on the actual button. It's yeah, one of those it might, two words. I might have both on there. I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, and when you press it repeatedly, it cycles between direct, pure direct, and all pure direct does is turn off all of your uh, video and, uh, yeah, all your video sections, except HDMI video can still pass through, but it won't be able to process it at all. So it turns off the video processing. That's really all pure direct does. It turns off your front display as well, supposedly to reduce noise. Um, but... Uh, if you press because it a third time, electrons. yeah. <laughs> if you press it a third time, it'll go to a mode called auto, and auto will simply detect what type of signal it is. If it's Dolby Digital 5.1, if it's Atmos, if it's stereo, whatever it is, and just put you into that dedicated listening mode automatically. So that's actually what you want. It is the button that you're pressing to get to direct mode, but just press it two more times, and it'll take yeah. you to auto when you're using a Marantz. We don't like direct. We don't like pure direct. We just yeah. don't. It just I turns off stuff unnecessarily, and uh, it does things. Sometimes some of the stuff that it turns off is like base management, and then you're like, or uh, your Odyssey uh, correction. You know, what? 
yeah. Why why am I doing this? Yeah, pure direct. You're not getting Odyssey. You're not getting anything. You're just That's getting right. exactly what came out, and then it turns off everything else to make you feel good about yourself. So, because some audio file said that's the way it should be. Damien on Twitter, he asks, if the BenQ HT 3550 and the Epson Home Cinema 4010 projectors were both the same price or very close, which would we pick and why? I would let uh, Max Headroom answer this question. So, <laughs> All right. Well, here I go. And I don't know how much Tom will hear of this, but um, mostly I would pick the Epson Home Cinema 4010. Uh, for sure, it has motorized lens adjustment and the BenQ doesn't. So if you need anything to be motorized, that's a super easy choice because that's just one has it and the other doesn't, including lens memory. So if you're switching between 16 by 9 and CinemaScope, you can do that at the press of a button on the Epson. Uh, the black levels are pretty similar. Um, the 4010 is not an ultra black, um, but... It's uh, it's pretty similar across the BenQ and the Epson in this case as far as black levels goes. The Epson is a bit brighter. Um, the Epson is a 1080p panel that is wobbling twice per frame when you feed it 4K content, whereas the BenQ is a 1080p panel that wobbles four times per frame to try and give you you know more pixels that your eye will uh, pick up per frame. But uh, as far as sharpness and that actually goes, uh, the BenQ puts a little bit of halo of light around that as it moves around and the Epson doesn't. So there's a little bit of trade-offs there. Ultimately, though, there's the one feature that the BenQ has that the Epson doesn't, which is the uh, the BenQ can take 4K60 with HDR. And this is one of the Epsons that is limited if you're doing 4K with high dynamic range, limited to 30 frames or 24 frames a second. Can't do 60. So... You sort of have to look at those two things. If you're like 4K 60 HDR is your number one thing, well, then you've got to go with the BenQ in this case. But if you want motorized lens stuff, then you have to go with the Epson. The other stuff, more or less, I'd probably pick the Epson. So that's the way I would lean unless you really want 4K 60 HDR. <laughs> Tom got none of that. Well, I'm, just, I'm, I'm sure it was a riveting answer. Yep. I can't, I can't wait to hear it on the podcast. <laughs> Jonathan, this is Jonathan with the C-Den Theater. Uh, C-Den, it's a Seahawks, is that right? It was at Seahawks. That's right, yeah. And then it's a Den. It is. I don't know. (laughs) Anyways, Jonathan has a 65-inch Sony X900F. In general, he loves it, but as Rob discussed in the previous episode, Dolby Vision looks way too dark. He did a lot of internet research on it, and if you go back a year or more, there's a lot of chatter about hoping for a firmware update and whatnot, but nothing ever happened because why would it? And now Sony is <laughs> moving on to the X900H series, so buy a new TV, they said. So the discussions have basically stopped and it doesn't look as though the, a fix is ever going to come. It's not just the built-in apps either. His Apple TV 4K looks way too dark if it's uh, sending Dolby Vision. Several places online suggest just deactivating Dolby Vision, having the Apple TV 4K only send HDR10 instead. And that looks great. So should he just accept that he will never watch Dolby Vision on his Sony X900F or is there some solution available that he never came across? Uh, I trust your Google Foo, sir. I would guess that you are uh, you're 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 like Rob's internet right now, hosed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why why they were never able to uh, come to a fix for this? I mean, who knows? I suppose it's possible, but we are two years on now, uh, two model years on now. In any case, and it seems unlikely at this point that they're going to go ahead and issue an update for this. So, yeah, unfortunately, if you have a way of using HDR10 instead from your sources, by all means use that because it does that just fine. 
Hmm. That's unfortunate. Jonathan sits nine feet from his front wall. Not that. You can sit as far away from your wall as well. It's unfortunate about the other thing. He actually has three TVs on that front wall for a bit of a sports feel. When he was planning his main TV purchase, he read a ton of articles online about seating distances and screen size. He was convinced that 75 inches is what he should go for. So he did. But once he got it mounted, it felt too large for his liking. Sports and TV shows just felt a bit overwhelming so he tried the 65 inch size that he has now instead and it felt much better to him but now he's heard us frequently recommend projection setup with 100 to 120 inch screen sizes a mere 10 foot viewing distances he knows it's all personal preference but he can't help feel as though he is missing out on something or he's somehow not doing it right would we really sit only nine feet away from a 110 inch screen and think that's all right uh Yes, yes, I would. But uh, I am not watching sports, and I think that's a, that's a pretty uh, major, main major difference for me. When I watch sports, I don't, uh, you know, I I don't prefer my big screen compared to some my mm. screen that I'm watching compared to a smaller screen. And mostly, there's two factors that 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 come in here. Mostly, the signals I when I'm watching a large screen. Uh, sports thing it's mostly coming from cable okay mm-hmm. and cable uh, in my opinion is ho- almost universally horribly compressed even <laughs> the games that they care about you know the compression artifacts are pretty uh evident pretty obvious and when you blow it up onto a massive screen like i mean i don't have a massive screen i'm 90 inch or 92 or whatever this i don't have a massive screen but i sit pretty close to it so when you blow it up that big, those artifacts are quite jarring and distracting for me. Now, when I watch in my home theater and I can get it over the air where I'm not getting all that compression, it's much more tolerable. But if I were in a, in a, in a sports bar, if I were looking to watch many sporting games over and over again, I don't think I would prefer a screen this size for that specific purpose, if that was its main purpose, simply because... There's just so much movement and stuff going on, and me trying to follow the ball around that big screen becomes a mm-hmm. bit of a hassle. I'd want something a little bit smaller. So yeah, no, 65 inches from 9 feet is a 29-degree field of view. I mean, that's very close to 30, which is exactly what SEMPTI, the Society of Motion Picture and Television Engineers, would recommend. For HDTV, they recommend a 30-degree field of view. So you are not strange at all. You, in fact, agree with the experts of the field of view that you prefer for television viewing. Uh, myself, I wouldn't mind a 75-inch from 9 feet at all. That gives me a 33-and-a-half-degree field of view. I like a little bit larger than a 30-degree field of view, even just for HD TV. And then, yeah, a 102-inch screen from 9 feet away is the 45-degree field of view that I like for CinemaScope movies. But that's for CinemaScope movies, not for sports. So if you like 65 inches from 9 feet away, you are in no way outside of the recommended viewing angle. So don't, don't worry about us telling you that bigger screen sizes can work from that distance. <laughs> Well, and you know, it, like I said, it comes down a lot to the fact that, uh, that you're watching sports versus people are, yeah. are asking us about movies. You know, movies. Yes. A, lot of, a lot of big heads just sitting there on the screen doing nothing. Not you know, twenty guys. You know, twenty five people on the on the on a big patch of green throwing a ball around, and you having to watch this thing, and it's going over and That's over. Right. Yeah. Makes a big difference. So, uh, lastly, he plans to follow our previous advice to add French doors to close off his room and to add a second subwoofer after that. He also liked to add acoustic panels. How does he get his wife to agree to the panels? 
And that may be the hardest question we've ever been asked. <laughs> well, I mean, ask her, how would you like to decorate this room? Because you can make panels look like anything. I right. mean, they're just fabric. So if it requires printing on the fabric to get the exact look that she wants, then you can get printed fabric on your panels. If you want a patterned fabric, you can get patterned fabric put on instead. If you want a solid color of a certain type or, you know, a block pattern or something like that, all of this is doable. So the only issue is, of course, it's adding some amount of thickness. You can't get away from that. A panel right. has to have some thickness. But the front-facing look of what this thing looks like, including making it look like posters, uh, using your own family photos and having those printed onto fabric. All I of would, this is doable. I mean, I would watch, like, or stream uh, when the, any sort of interior home design show, you know, mm -hmm. HGTV, something like that, and just wait for her to say, oh, that looks cute, and then say, we could do that with acoustic panels. <laughs> because, that's right. You know, I mean, uh, that's, that, I think, is how you, how you sell this. You sell this by saying... We can do what you already said that you uh, would enjoy with acoustic panels, and then you show really how. Oh. Because I had the same conversation with my parents. Now they haven't done it, but they've got pictures behind their couch. I'm like, and their right. room is so loud and obnoxious that, of course, they're having a hard time hearing stuff in there. So because uh, it's it's all tile and hard surfaces, I'm like, well, every picture you have in here, but they have like hand painted stuff. You know, mm -hmm. it's all religious iconography because they're highly highly aggressively catholic but uh they you know th that's not stuff that they were going to be willing to put onto a, an acoustic panel but they have pictures of us and whatever dude i don't even look like that anymore so yeah i mean even on, if you panel even if you have a work of art already hanging and you're thinking how do i get uh you know an image of this to print it i mean you might have to hire a professional photographer but there are lots of those guys around have them actually photograph what is already there you know in in proper lighting so that it's even lighting across not just what it looks like in your room that might have shadows or something but right, you have right. it properly lit have it professionally photographed that photograph you own you can have that now printed on any panel you want and it can be the thing you already have in the room yeah. and have it look exactly like what you want and the printing they can do on fabrics can look really Really good. It's amazing right. what it can look like. That's the way. I, I think you're better. That that is a selling point you can try. I do believe that just waiting for somebody to say, "Oh, look how there's a checkboard pattern on the back wall." Mm. That that's really dramatic. I really kind of like that. Oh, we could do that with panels for sure. Oh, you yeah. Know, you know, <laughs> any sort of accent walls, any sort of accent colors, any, any sort of stripes or anything like that. Do it. You know, do the paint the wall the regular color, and then put whatever the stripe color you want to be, mm -hmm. and make it out of panels. Tim, Tim says he's been listening to AV Rent for nearly a year now, and he appreciates its existence. That may be the most low key compliment I think we've ever gotten. <laughs> you know, it's like somebody I wrote in to say, great. "I think it's, I think this is better than it not being a thing." Like, That's okay. right. It is. Hey, man, that's the opposite of YouTube, where everything that exists shouldn't. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm like, it's super low key compliment that I appreciate. So Tim says he appreciates us for you know not being dead. He wants to know if we think we he should upgrade anything in his theater or just keep things as he already has them. Yes. <laughs> no, I can't just say that. Can we just skip the rest of this? Because it's a really long question. Uh, so his, rough, his room is roughly 15 feet from front to back. He has a cabinet that is two feet deep. 
that holds uh, up front that holds his gear and, he, and his TV and front left and right speakers are on top of it. He does not have any desire to, to replace or change that. The room is 16 and a half, but we'll say 16 and a half feet wide. And the ceiling has a steep vault with the center being the highest point and the slope coming down at the front and, and down at the back of the room. So he's sitting in the A-frame and he's looking at one of the sides of the A, basically. Yes. Uh, he sits 10 feet away from his TV. He uses a Denon 4311 CI receiver with an 11.1 speaker setup. It's not Atmos because this is old school. 4311. It's the old Odyssey DSX configuration with front wides and front height speakers. His main speakers are all paradigm reference with some Cambridge and Yamaha speakers for height and back duty. The sub is a PowerSound Audio XS15 that is behind his sofa. His TV is a 1080p 52-inch Sony LCD. Boy, they don't make 52s anymore. And <laughs> uh, he also has a custom-cut 79-inch projection screen that he actually clips into a frame over his Sony TV, then uses a BenQ HT2150ST short-throw projector to cast an approximately 75-inch image. So it's a 79-inch projection screen, but he puts a 75 image on it, 75 inch image on it. So that's that's I'm, a thing. I'm betting some of that is the short throw and where it can physically right, live. Right. And right, right, I mean, right, the right. screen isn't actually exactly 16 by nine to begin with, so he can't really go completely edge to edge. But yeah, I mean, it's a DIY screen solution that lets him put it right over where his television normally lives, and then for movies, he can have a larger image that still fits just in between his existing front left right speakers. So the Basically, if you want to envision this, he's got he's sitting in the A frame. the 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 sloping sides are in front and back of him. Okay, in front of him, there's also in front of him and in back of him, there's a window. So, but the window, like if you think of an A frame house that has windows coming out of the roof, you know they have that sort of little A frame build out. So he's got mm-hmm. that going on in front of him, and his TV is kind of stuck in that little you know area and behind him he's got the same thing and he's got surround back speakers in that little area to his right and left he's got bookshelves that go floor to ceiling with tons of stuff in there including speakers mm-hmm. and uh it's purple yes it is so you know purple so what would I change? Well, I'd start with the purple, but that's just me. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't obviously, think that's changing. I don't, I don't, I don't think, think that's that was going an anywhere. I mean, to, to very purple. It's quite very purple. Anyways, and uh, so yeah, that's what we got going on there. And let me just kind of scroll down because there's a lot of lot of images here. Yes, and the throat fr- the the front throw projector actually sits like on a box on the floor in front of the TV, which he puts this the screen up on the TV. Uh, basically right. clipped around the TV. So there you go. All right. Uh, so since he doesn't want to change his TV stand or his front left and right speaker placement, that limits the size of his TV screen unless he were to use an acoustically transparent projection screen, which might be difficult to mount in, in, with his particular room geometry. He wants a really good, accurate picture, and he would prefer a TV since the room is not 100% light controlled and the walls are not a neutral color understatement yes he got his current uh sony lcd back in uh, 2006 he couldn't justify the price of a plasma at that time in 2015 he bought a 55 inch uh 1080p oled for a different room so he's leaning towards a big 75 77 inch oled but the price is still quite high that would basically uh equal his current projection screen size and his benq 2150 sc actually has better black levels than his sony so he sees his options as being 
77-inch OLED for the high price. 65-inch OLED for an affordable price, but not really as large as he'd like. A 75-inch uh, full-array local dimming LCD uh, for an affordable price. An Epson projector for an affordable price. Or a Sony or JVC projector for about the same price as a 77-inch OLED. What should he get, if anything? Uh... He, so have 4K and HDR settled down to the point where he should he could buy something today and it will last him 10 years. He doesn't want to feel like he needs to upgrade only three years from now. Could a 4K HDR projector be a better choice in his case? And how would uh, and how would an affordable 75-inch LCD stack up? All right, this is what I think you should do, and it's a lot easier than you think it's going to be. Okay. okay. First of all, First of all, uh, if you bought a TV in 2006 and you are asking me what TV you want to buy in 2019 and you're asking me if you're going to be able to live with this TV for more than three years, the answer is, yeah, apparently, dude, you've got a high tolerance. <laughs> all right? You're, you're going to be just fine with this, whatever TV you get. But what you're going to do is you're going to get a 65-inch OLED. You're gonna get that 65 inch oh, okay. OLED. You're gonna stick it in that, uh, stick it in that that thing because it's the price you want. It's the type of TV you want. It's got the black levels and the picture quality that you want, and it does all the things that you want. Well, could there be three years from now be more things? Yes, but you're never gonna be able to justify the price to yourself, so don't worry about it. And there's always gonna be three years from now new things, no matter what the now is. So don't worry mm. about it. Get the 65 inch. All right, you can't because all the, the his speakers are placed basically in the room you know where they can go okay yes. there's there's not there many options but the side speakers are on the bookshelves which means the side speakers have infinite placement options you just have to move them around this, those those shelves because as far as i can tell those shelves go floor to ceiling so you can move you have options moving those things around so you're going to take your 65 inch tv which you're going to be happy with the price you're going to put it where your current tv is now you're going to get rid of your short throw projector because you won't need it anymore and then you're going to move your seat up until you like the size of your image which is not going to be as much movement as you think it's going to be and that's what that's the to me that's the easiest best solution for what you what you have going on here that that does make a lot of sense i mean 65 will definitely look bigger than 52 i mean that you will oh. notice that yeah. size increase for television no question um sure obviously it isn't 75 inches like your current projected image i mean if you could afford a 77 inch oled then it's everything you could possibly want including size but obviously the price is substantially higher like the price drops that we've seen on the 65 inches have been considerably more than on the 77 inches where they just don't manufacture as many and not as many brands are offering the 77 inch size everybody who makes an oled offers the 65 inch size um yeah if you're already used to a 55 inch oled in another room it's going to be tough to do anything other than an oled um so yeah i mean to me the only thing would be if you could afford the 77 which obviously he's already thought about and if it yeah. really is just too much i mean your center speaker is not where your TV is, you bring that 65-inch OLED as close forward to you as you can, and yes, scooch your seat a little bit more forward, and, and bingo, you've got the viewing angle that you want. So, yep, we agree. Okay. So if he gets a 77-inch OLED or a 75-inch LCD, it'll be taller than his current TV, so it'll cover part of the bottom of the window alcove. Is that going to be in the big aesthetic interior design? No, no. Enough to force a switch over uh, to a projection setup. I don't understand how the projection setup would be any better as a, as a design node, though. I but guess it could be a being, removable screen if yeah, you think of it that way. But I, I can't imagine. 
I'll be honest with you. The idea of trying to take the screen down and not crinkle the fabric in some way, it stresses <laughs> me out to no end. So yeah, no, if, if you were going to do this, if you do a projection setup, I would want you to get a tab, you know, some sort of tensioned, you mm. know, drop screen. And that's just taking these price points like way, way way higher than they need but to be. But we also avoid this if we stick with Tom's suggestion of the 65-inch size, because if we look at his current 52-inch Sony, it's got a lot of bezel. It's I just a whole don't really bunch think of that... Who cares? And... Who's in this room that's looking, that's going, oh my god, the TV's covering a little bit of the window. No one's going to say that. Well, he I mean, is. I, I, I'm just saying that, honestly, the 65-inch TV that he's going for is, it's like the same frame size as his current TV except that it's just screen edge to edge instead of this giant three inch bezel all around like he's got right Right. now so I think it will fit perfectly and you will have the larger image so we just solved that problem yeah I well and I still think that if you went with a bigger TV and it covered a little bit of your window who really cares yeah I mean who cares if somebody in your house actually cares well then that's the person who cares and then you talk tell ask them about it but Whatever. So any TVs announced at CES that are worth waiting for? No. Not when it comes to OLEDs. I mean, they changed essentially nothing. Um, Yeah. Nope. No reason. Grab a a C9 or a B9. Uh, And all the rest of these questions seem like the answer is going to be no. But here we go. Should he consider an ultra throw uh, projection setup? No. No. Can any of those even create an image that would fit between his front left and right speakers? Well, yeah, I mean they all. I mean, they can. Well, no, because there's there are focus limitations. Well, that's they can true. Only, but I mean, only go so close or so far. I, I guarantee this... you can find one that will do it. I guarantee because they they, they make those ones for the. I see them at schools all the time. My kids' school, it's like mm. a twelve inches off the freaking wall. It creates a massive image. It's garbage. No, I wouldn't want to watch TV needs on smaller. it. Smaller. He needs, yeah. he needs it smaller than that. I'm pretty sure the smallest they go is 92, but you know what? It's mood anyway. Don't do an ultra short throw. Yeah, Grab an this. OLED. So if he goes for the 4K HDR display upgrade, should he get an ultra HD Blu-ray player? Uh, he should get an ultra uh, Blu-ray player, right? Uh, which one? should it, Could it be a flagship like the Panasonic UB9000 or Sony X1100ES? Uh, would the, one of those be worth it? I mean, we suggest these things all the time, and the, and the answer is... You know, at any given moment, on you know, right around the corner, there's going to be a better one. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, get the one that does the things that all the things that you need it to do. And based on the display you buy, that's that might be slightly different. You know, we talk about this on this podcast all the time. How some uh, ultra uh, ultra HD Blu-ray players can you know set the you know the brightness level, you know, the max brightness that they'll come out, and they'll scale everything to that. Will you need that with your OLED? Which OLED do you buy him, buddy? Because <laughs> that may that may make a difference right there. So there is a perfect one for you for right now, uh, but we w- would want to know what your TV was first. Well, I mean, we're strongly recommending that you go for the OLED. I'm going to tell you, grab an LG, get a B9 or a C9. Those have the its own built-in frame-by-frame analysis and dynamic tone mapping. You don't really need the HDR optimizer that Panasonic offers with right. those OLEDs. They, they already do that. Now, the LG OLEDs do have Dolby Vision. So, you know, it'd be nice. Why not get one that does Dolby Vision? So, honestly... The perfect player for you to get would be the Panasonic UB450. That is the model that does that's uh, a Dolby Vision. That's, that's a lot less than the, the 9,000 oh, yeah. that he's looking but at. The, 
the problem is the 450 hasn't shown up in the United States yet. Um, it's available in Europe, but it hasn't shown up in the United States yet. Now, we didn't know about the previous generation. That was the Panasonic UB420 and the 820. Now, those did eventually come to North America. So I'm hoping the 450 does because that honestly is the right model. The 420 which you can get in North America, the 420 doesn't do Dolby Vision. It does HDR Optimizer, but not Dolby Vision. So it's a wonderful companion for a projector, but doesn't do Dolby Vision. The 820 would be great. It's just that it's $500, and I don't know if you want to spend that much. I mean, if you were willing to spend what a 9000 costs, then 500 isn't so bad. So if right. you're willing to that, the 820 I can wholeheartedly recommend. But if you're willing to wait a bit, see if maybe the 450 shows up, because honestly, that's the perfect one for you. Lastly, yes, are Atmos and DTSX worth it? Should he? I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna say no, but go on. <laughs> Should he upgrade his AV receiver? He likes his front wide speakers, so does that mean the expensive Denon X8? God, this guy wants to not and also spend all of the money. So does that mean the expensive Denon X8500H is his only option, or if he gets an 11 channel Atmos receiver, could he connect his two? pairs of front left and right speakers and just position the second pair like front wides would that work no would that no. work would <laughs> av re- what av receiver should he get if he gets one um now so the thing got, here he's is... got 11.1 the first thing you're gonna do is buy another subwoofer let's talk about that but anyways uh <laughs> you know my answer is gonna is gonna probably be just i think stick with what you've got for right now uh, if you're really in, enamored, if you experience Atmos, you're like, I got to have it. Well, then it's going to require a non-trivial move, moving of speakers in your system. You have an A-frame. You're sitting in an A-frame, which means it wouldn't be impossible for you to put you know, front heights in, or... Well, that's just it. I mean, he already figured out how to put front heights at the front of his room. He could do the exact same thing at the back of his room and have front heights and rear heights. Uh, He would just be subtracting his front wides. I did want to mention to him, like, his front, well, should I even say, his front wides aren't actually where front wides should be. They're not actually wide enough. Um, they, They should by the angles, be a little ways down his side walls, except he's got a door on the left and it would kind of be problematic for that. So that's probably why they ended up where they are. Um, I mean, the X8500H is the only... I mean, it's the most affordable receiver that does front wides right now. I mean, there are more expensive ones that do, like Monoprice's HTP1, which is a pre-pro, so then you need 15 channels of external amplification to add to that thing further increasing the price uh you know there's emotivas but then they still don't have direct um so i would just get the mono <laughs> price if you were gonna do the so they say um so yeah the thing is though the reason he might want to get a new av receiver is not even the speaker layout it's because oh, if he gets right. the oled his yeah. existing av receiver doesn't pass through 4k hdr i didn't think about and that yeah that would be more the reason to do it. So, um, I mean, I don't, I, the, he's already installed front heights. I think he could duplicate the exact same thing as rear heights. Um, you wouldn't be able to use front wides at that point unless you go all the way to the X8500H, then you could. Uh, but if you're going to do it, I would mostly do it so that your AV receiver can now pass through 4K HDR. Right, and you should get the, what, the, 40, I mean, the 4000 series, whatever the 4000 series that's out there. Right I mean, now, he could even go for an X... X thirty six hundred H. He'll need external amplification though, because he'll have he'll, well two channels yeah. at, at 
at least. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, you could get an X thirty five, uh, thirty six. It has to be the thirty six. This you would could not get an be X my first thing that you would do. <laughs> mm. <laughs> the things that you oh, asked about. The OLED first. Yeah. yeah, the OLED first, no question. Yeah. All right, Ben. A few episodes back, I mentioned that I use certain albums and songs or parts of songs to test audio systems. Can we share specifics on what we're listening for with each one? Uh, it's right over there. <laughs> this, I have a case full of stuff. It depends if I'm t- if I'm going out. I have mm. a uh, and, and if you guys go to Audio Holics, you can find it the. Fifteen hundred to two thousand dollar speaker shootout. I did like floor standing speaker shootout. We did many okay. many years ago. Uh, somebody brought over a disc of clips, and I can't even tell you what all the clips are. Uh, there, some of them are songs I just don't I don't know what they are. But they're not all of them. Seal is one of them. I know the the whatever that song is. Anyways, Kiss but, by uh, a Rose is yeah. most famous one. No, I don't, I don't think it was Kissed by a Rose. What's the other one? Oh, okay. Crazy, crazy, or is it crazy? Is that one of them? Uh, like I don't remember the name. I don't either. Anyways, the, it's just the beginning of that. Uh, you know, the first couple of bars of that, and we listen to that. And there's you know five or six, seven, eight other clips. So I, I'll take that with me, and I take that because it's a CD and it's easy and it's one place. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm listening at home, the sort of things, depending on what kind of speakers I'm listening to when I'm doing, I might listen to Porcupine Tree. And yeah. that is mostly because they have very good surround sound mixes that are dedicated to, you know, and I have like the DVDAs and the DTSs and the everything. I've got a Blu-ray of Diana Crawl live in Rio. I'll listen to that for female vocals and that sort of thing. Uh, it's well, as all her stuff is, is well recorded. Uh there's uh, Yellow is the name of a band. I would not recommend buying this album. It's, it's not <laughs> very fun to listen to. But uh, they did the the Oh Yeah song, right? Oh, right. I, that's not on there. That's not the, 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 the I is the name of the album. And like track 12 at one point has a, you know, a sound that's kind of like a, it's not like a, it sounds sort of like a skipping needle on a, but it doesn't scratch skipping like vinyl needle but it goes from one side of the room to the other and then back again i listen to that for front pans um there's other stuff in there uh that's not coming to mind i can go get it and look at it i guess i mean it's (laughs) literally right there hold on a second (laughs) okay well there's all kinds of things Go on. Okay. You I'll mention mine. Um, yeah. Uh, I use John Williams for sure. I use his uh, album, The Five Sacred Trees, which um, features a lot of bassoon. Uh, bassoon is a very particular sounding instrument, which if you're familiar with it in real life, it has this characteristic uh, undertone to everything um, that's going on. And it's difficult for speakers to nail that because it's right around the 500 hertz mark that that exists. So there's a very characteristic sound of bassoon. So I use that. Uh, I also use his uh, theme to Jurassic Park because it features a glockenspiel so way up at the top end again if you know how a glockenspiel sounds in real life i like that as a test for speakers to see if they really make me believe that i'm listening to a real bassoon and a real glockenspiel uh i use dido's um life for rent album uh particularly the second song called stoned uh where it layers and layers and layers as the song goes on and i use that to tell how well i can delineate instruments because all the instruments just keep layering on top of each other and i like to test if i can uh tune in and and focus on just one instrument 
instrument throughout the entire song as more layers are added. And then for a concert Blu-ray, I love uh, Chris Body's um, Chris Body in Boston concert, uh, which is fantastic audio quality throughout. Uh, I'm particularly a fan of the performance of Emmanuel, uh, where he has a violinist and himself on trumpet, of course. And yeah, that's like, basically, I'm just looking for how many tingles do I get because it's a absolute emotional and like tingle inducing recording when it's played back properly. Uh, Even on not so great speakers, it can do that. But on really good speakers, it's one of those things that can like transport you uh you know into the venue and i i listen for that type of realism how much i believe i've been taken out of the room i'm actually in and uh transported to that concert have you found it tom yeah i got it i've got a test cv from uh, rivs or reeves audio i don't remember oh yeah yeah they're gone uh i've got euphoria in here i've got more chiba blue man group uh lorna hunt all in one day i don't know never no i know i listened to it i don't know who she is uh rusted root is in there too for a little bit of more live sound to see what that sounds like i uh, don't know who that is nope i don't listen to that nope uh, that's a good selection don't we can go on porcupine tree so. i've got a whole bunch of porcupine tree in here mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and then i've got another te- i've got like a selection of test discs that i've gotten from people uh, uh oh my god so yeah, Ben also asked about uh, movies, if we have any particular movies or movie scenes that we like as test material. But uh, I have to say for video, um, I mean, demo material is one thing, but test material for video isn't really nah. so much. I, I will use test patterns from like the Spears and Munsell disc or directly from Calman. I guess um, if you were Cal-Man really software. looking for like bloom, like blooming, but like... Uh, you know, if you were an LCD and to see whether, you know, how they were handling their backlight, you could look oh, at a star sure, yeah. field, you know, but that's yeah. about the, about anything with a star field in it. And you would have to know <laughs> what it was supposed to look like in order to Which know. Which they have on whether, the Spears and Munsell disc. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You that's really, and that's, that. that's the thing. You would need, you need test discs for video. Now, if you're looking for audio, again, like Jurassic Park, the, the 4K, the Ultra HD, uh, rem- the new release that they did. Right, the right, opening right. scene of that is great for audio. Um, I mean, it's dark, so I imagine it's probably good for video. Who knows? Anyways, all right. Uh, okay. Andrew and Chris, both on Twitter, asked things that are similar. So here they are together. Forever connected. Uh, what's up with Dolby's latest drawings for speaker placement? They're now showing the surround speakers as being, as being lower than ear height. Is that to give you better separation from the overhead speakers? Uh, I just don't think that they're drawing very well. Don't yeah, think no. I would worry too much. Uh, that's a, that looks like an upward. Is that an upwards firing? No, it's not. It's just stupid. Eh, okay, weird. Yeah, no. I don't know. Ignore what it looks like. Um, read the description that they give. Go by the angles that they specify. Don't try to make it look like the image you're seeing. <laughs> that's right. I don't yeah. know why they do that. I don't know why they did that. No clue. Weird. Also regarding uh, Dolby Atmos speaker positioning, uh, Chris is pre-wiring and positioning backer boxes for six overheads, but he will be starting with only four speakers. If he has the free reign to ideally position all six, where should the first four go? And should they be called... uh, What should they they be called in the receiver setup? I would do front, uh, top fronts, top rears, top middles. 
and I would do the right? fronts and the I would do the fronts and the rears first, and then yes. hope that someday you could also run middles. That's so I, I wanted I wanted to go into a little bit of depth because thanks to Monoprice having released uh, their HTP one, which is their processor that can do nine point one point six, uh, they gave a description. I, I believe it was actually Hobie Seacrest there over at monoprice because he's been like the lead guy on all of it he gave a really detailed description of exactly what dts x is doing because this has been something of a debate but like he's gotten to look at the code he's gotten to work (laughs) with the actual processing and finally gave an answer that's like pretty definitive so it's interesting because what he described is that if you call your speakers top fronts and top rears that works perfectly for Atmos, but for DTS-X, they will actually put the sound in both the top front and your front speaker, or both the top uh, rear and your surround back speaker, because in DTS-X's mind, you're supposed to have heights. But where DTS wants you to have your heights positioned is at a 45-degree elevation angle, which is where Dolby wants you to have your tops Right, Dolby's tops are at 45 degree elevation angles, ideally, and DTS's heights are at 45 degree elevation angles, ideally. So if you put your speakers at 45 degree elevation angles, but you call them heights, Atmos will deal with that perfectly fine. They're like, that's okay. Heights are allowed to be at 45 degree elevation angles, that's acceptable. And DTS-X will go, oh, you have heights. Now I'm going to play those sounds only out of the heights and not also mix them a little bit into the fronts and mix them a little bit into your surround backs to try and like vertically stereo image somewhere in between. Mm -hmm. So ideally you call them front heights and front uh, and rear heights, but you have them at 45 degree elevation angles. And then interestingly, those also work for Oro 3D. So we've fallen ass backwards into a universal speaker setup that works for all three immersive audio formats, fronts and rears at 45 degree elevation angles, and you call them heights. Uh, That's my final answer. It's just final answer for today, uh, January yes. 29th, 2020. Until things change, my final answer. So Andrew just uh, got a 65-inch B9 OLED, and he and his wife are in awe of its picture quality. He painted the front wall black, and the OLED's black bars are even blacker than that. It's blacker than black. Is it, it is. worth having his new OLED professionally calibrated? I mean, I just... Do you have a pile of money behind your couch that you're like, <laughs> See, we got to get rid of this crap. I keep tripping over this thing. I'm going to break a freaking ankle around here. We got this... Look at this pile of money. What are we going to do? Yeah, No. It's it, the most of the time when you're trying to get, uh, well, back in the day, professional calibration was mostly about getting your blacks black and your whites white, and then also uh, getting your colors accurate and, and your also getting, scale correct. Well, yeah, and also getting your colors yeah. accurate. Those, you know, the, the that was what they were trying to do, you mm-hmm. know. But now, if your blacks are blacker than the black wall, you got. I mean, how much blacker you want to be? It's black enough. Leave it alone. <laughs> so I'm of a slight two slightly different answers on this because my whole thing is if you have never had any calib- any display that you've ever owned calibrated if you've never been used to a really really accurate picture you have no frame of reference of what is truly accurate then I mean 
the B9 OLED can be calibrated to essential perfection. It's got a full lookup table that a professional calibrator can access. It can be like right down to the nines. And if you've never had that frame of reference for yourself, I can follow that argument to say, this is now going to be my frame of reference. And moving forward, I will always be able to compare to this and know if I'm slightly blue tinged, slightly red tinged, anything. Right. But the flip side of that is out of the box. If you just put it into the ISF dark picture mode, it's really close. Um, Is it, as close as a professional calibrator can get you to absolute perfection, not quite, but it's like literally already within the acceptable tolerance range of what a professional calibrator might aim for as far as grayscale and color accuracy goes. So if somebody says, look, ISF Dark is already so darn close that it's not worth paying the money, I agree with that person. If somebody says, you've never had it calibrated and you want to see absolute perfection as a frame of reference for the future, I can also agree with that person. So I'm a little bit in between, but you'll have to decide. Andrew, let me let me ask you this. Uh, is it worth explaining to your wife why you spent uh, hundreds of dollars on calibration just to have her say it looks exactly the same? Because mm. that's exactly what she's going to say. So yeah, the answer... If you put it in ISF The, the dark final looks. answer is... You, you it is not worth the trouble. It, you are not. It, it is not. You're. There's no way your life gets better because you had this mm. thing calibrated. So, that's my final answer. You go ahead and listen to Canadian. See what. See. Let me know how therapy works out for you guys. Cruno, whatever. So. The new uh, LG OLEDs have full 48 gigabits per second, HDMI 2.1 inputs. His HDMI cables are high speed from two years ago. Should he upgrade to new HDMI cables? There, uh, these there are cables that say they're saying they're 8K for around 20 bucks. So I'm <laughs> guessing this stuff is all very close. Because if not, he would not be considering this. Is what I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. Um, because twenty dollar cables that are 8K or not 8K or whatever. Uh, well, I, I wanted to, to mention short. there, um, we learned at CES that yes. HDMI LLC, they officially have ultra high speed HDMI cables that by mandate have to be certified by HDMI. Nobody has that certification yet. I was going to say, it hasn't rolled so, out yet, though, right? They, they it hasn't rolled out. Uh, Blue Jeans will probably be the first ones to get it because they're right on top of that stuff. Um, uh, Mono price will be shortly behind them. So anybody who's selling you a cable right now that says it's an HDMI 2.1 cable or an 8K HDMI cable, nope, it's not certified. Nobody's are yet. So yeah. I wouldn't go for that. Now, what could you possibly need an HDMI 2.1, an ultra high speed cable for right this second? The only thing would be if you're doing 4K at 120 frames per second from a G-Sync compatible graphics card. That is the only thing that could possibly be doing that right now. And guess what? There are no HDMI 2.1 G-Sync graphics cards yet. So I know you're not doing that. So you don't need to buy a new cable right now. Uh, and... In the future, you might like when the Xbox Series X comes out, it'll it should come with an ultra high speed HDMI cable. One would assume. One would um, think. Yeah, but it won't do audio though. The cable won't do audio. You have to buy an <laughs> optical cable. They have an optical cable for that. Tom is being facetious. It will. I uh, yeah. Just in general, my uh, let me tell you my thought process here because I you know if I I'm, I've considered getting a 4K or at least a 4K compatible projector in this in this room sure. and I've got a 
25 foot, probably 20 foot uh, HDMI cable in the wall that ain't coming out. It's not in conduit. Mm. It's not. It's not coming out. So my thought process is this: I'm buying the projector. I'm hooking it up, and I'm gonna see what happens. And that's mm. what it, you are clearly using this TV and, and impressed by its black levels yep. and everything. So what is the thing and that you think that you're going to get if you're not if you're already getting an image? Because if you're already getting an image, then you're getting all the stuff you're going to get. The, the, and I know from what he said that Dolby Vision lit right up in the corner when he was playing something in Dolby Vision. So, so your cable that you're using right now is already just functioning just fine. Yeah, it's just yeah. fine. So uh, you know, the one thing that you might, you know, like like Rob said, you might notice is if you had a, a longer cable and you were trying to play mm. 4k 60 uh it might say oh i can't do that so you know you might be only getting 4k 30 out of it or you know it might have to down mix it or you end up with issues you'll know this won't be subtle mm-hmm. it won't be like oh my god i think there might be something wrong with the image i better put a little yeah. clock at the back of the room no no it'll flick on and off or go completely black you'll yeah. you'll notice it no. It, it, it will not be subtle. <laughs> Don. Don is using a Denon X4400H receiver with Martin Logan Motion Series speakers all around, plus four Theater Solutions in-ceiling Atmos speakers. His subs are a pair of uh, Martin Logan Dynamos, uh, both up front uh, at the front of his room, and his room is roughly 18 by 25, but it's slightly L-shaped going off to the right up at the front of his room. So, Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. you, you and Gene should get together because you got the same room. Awesome. <laughs> uh, I think Gene's room's probably significantly larger, but it's a, about the same thing. So there you go. He has tried using the Odyssey Editor app. If he wants to stop equalizing at the transition, uh, if he wants to stop transi- uh, equalizing at the transition frequency of his room, should he manually create a curve using the curve editor, or should he use the frequency range setting, or should he use both? Uh, stop equalizing the transition frequency, then you would do the frequency range setting. I mean, I guess you could absolutely. Use a, I don't know yeah, why you because use a curve. if if you put that like had it drop off down to zero in the curve editor, that it, is the target it is trying to hit now. <laughs> you're you're going for no noise from 250 hertz and up. <laughs> I don't want to hear no voices. I don't want to hear any trouble. That's my target. No, no, you want to use the frequency range limiting setting. That's that's what it's for to say equalize up to this point and no further. It'll just truncate the graph and that that's what you want. Yeah. Don't don't edit down the curve. So he wants to maximize his bass response. Should he purchase a USB microphone and dig into Room EQ Wizard? Well, first of all, you should move one of those subs off the front of your wall. It's Start. not going to happen, it sounds like. That's, that's <laughs> where they're going to live. Uh, that, if, if, I mean, if you're really <laughs> serious about this, then, you know, don't say, I'm really serious about getting better uh, about, you know, but I'm because I'm always poisoned all the time, but I'm going to keep drinking poison. But what can I do to keep this poison from hurting me? Like, stop drinking <laughs> the poison. No, I can't do that. If you're serious about the base, you'll move the subs. Because the easiest number one thing you can do is start moving those subs around. And if you have a mm-hmm. dedicated room, which what it kind of looks like he does, because uh, there's not a lot in here that's not audio related. Uh, yeah. I would. I mean, playing it, a bass sweep on repeat and doing it by ear. Um, I know people are like, but how do I know that I actually got it the best it can possibly be? Um, I don't know how many people have ever come back and said, you know, I spent the nine months and I found the literal best, and then I brought in a new chair and it ruined everything. Um, so <laughs> it wouldn't really do that in bass, yeah. but I'm, I'm being a little exaggerative there. But I, I, 
Should he? I mean, he's probably going to anyway. Um, you know, if if you just want to play around with it, yeah, it, it's fun and it's not a huge expenditure. It's a hundred dollar microphone, and Rumi Q Wizard is free. Um, but honestly, yeah, sure like the way from, I uh, Herb Cross Spectrum yeah, Labs, yeah, I think it's one hundred and five dollars. Then uh, the way that I do it is by ear. I do it by ear. Yes, I've done the measurements so that I can look at it and understand it better and talk about it on the podcast. But the way I tune my own home theater is by ear. That's how I'll leave that. All right. Nathan. Nathan sends his own two HDMI output of his receiver to a computer monitor with built-in speakers. As Harmony remote can do all of the input switching and zone two activation just fine. But since his computer monitor doesn't have any sort of remote control, he has to adjust the volume on the monitor himself. He'd like to be able to adjust the monitor's volume via remote. So is there some device that could go in line to adjust the zone two HDMI HMI signal volume. He's hoping there's a solution that won't involve adding additional speakers. So he's wants the signal to be less loud. Well, controllable, yeah. uh, which it would have to be decoded. It would have to be yeah. some little stereo device that takes the HDMI signal, essentially becomes a preamp yeah. um, to do this in line. But I have a potentially much simpler solution um he's gonna still use the zone 2 hdmi to send the video signal that's a done deal but why not use the zone 2 pre-outs to send the zone 2 audio via analog because i mean if this is a computer monitor that has built-in speakers i've never seen one that has that that doesn't have a 3.5 millimeter stereo audio jack so you can input audio that way so why not just send the zone 2 audio as a stereo analog signal. And then he can control the volume for zone two on his AV receiver. Oh, right. Remote. Okay. Well, yeah. Then the remote on this. Yeah. Then this harmony would work for that. Yeah. I yeah. was wondering where you were going with that. Because I mean, like, what he wants is remote control volume control. Right. But if you're controlling the volume on the AV receiver, like, you know, the zone two volume can, can be controlled. So you would turn the, the you would the turn the, the monitor's volume up to max and then you would control yeah. the volume of the receiver from the zone two two yeah. volume output that's yeah. right and and using its uh analog audio outputs that's right. how i'd do it nathan that makes sense i didn't think about that that's a good yeah. one infinite gary since gary likes to experiment and change things so much he uh, finds dealing with room correction problem uh, programs to be a hassle what he wants is an auto setup where he just plugs a mic into the receiver he doesn't want to deal with any laptop smartphones or uh, external devices but he wants at least two memory slots so that he can easily switch he knows there's the odyssey uh, save and load via the editor app but that requires a smartphone he knows Dirac offers multiple save slots but that requires a laptop his anthem pre-pro can do it but he isn't looking to spend uh, what a second anthem would cost so are there any receivers <laughs> out there can do that can do what he wants uh I, I'm guessing there is, but I don't know of any because I know if you, I mean not wanting a smartphone. Basically, you want the receiver to have multiple, uh, multiple save files, and mm-hmm. I don't know. I know the Denons and the Morants don't do it, so no, they don't do it. Uh, but Yamaha does. Okay. Um, Yamaha in their higher end ones, I think it might only be the 2080 and the 3080, but. This is in Gary's 11-speaker system anyway, so it would have to be the 3080, because that's mm. the only Yamaha that does it. It's their flagship receiver, but hey, it's still less still than Still a lot cheaper than the Anthem, that's for sure. That's right. And in the manual speaker settings, it actually has a thing called the setting pattern, and you are allowed to set one thing up as pattern one and another thing up as pattern two. 
Uh, now, to switch between them, you either have to go into the manual settings each time and switch between pattern one and pattern two, uh, but you can also uh, use the source buttons that are on uh, the Yamaha's remote. Um, or no, sorry, not source, scene buttons. Uh, the Yamaha has several scene buttons, and you can have it so that everything is the same except for the pattern that mm. you're using. Uh, that can be the one thing that changes between scene one and scene two. So you can do this quite easily. It'll be a single button press once you've set up those scenes and you have two different patterns for, you know, one is uh, the one you've set up and always want to save. And then the second one is your experimentation, whatever other configuration you're doing, including a separate run of YPOW. And in the 3080, it is YPOW with the reflected sound control and multi-point measurement. It's as good as YPOW gets. I don't mind it at all. It's I right like up it. there yeah, with what Odyssey it. does. And they have YPOW volume, which is a very much the same thing as dynamic EQ. It's the curves of equal loudness. So, yeah, I can point you to a Yamaha quite quite uh, wholeheartedly say that the 3080 will do what you want to do. The bug flying right in my face. Weird. <laughs> So what happens if you've done an Odyssey setup for dual subs, but then you turn one of the subs off and just use a single sub, but with the same Odyssey calibration still running? Well, uh, together, they were playing a whatever the frequency response was. Okay, That's right. Some type then, of wave pattern in your yep, room. And that wave pattern was flat in some places and low in other places and high in other places. And those places were where they were. Okay, mm-hmm. And if you set your subs up properly, then when you went from seat to seat, those ups and downs sort of stayed about the same so that your AV receiver was able to cut down on the, the bumps, mm-hmm. probably tried to boost a little bit in the low end, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the, the dips, but that wasn't very effective. Uh, and, you know, maybe did some little EQing here and there, right? Mm-hmm. In theory. Now you've turned off one of the subs. Now the, the, the frequency response has totally changed. Where? Mm-hmm. I have no idea where. But all I know is that <laughs> the, the AV receiver doesn't know that you've turned off one of the subs. So no, it does the, not. The frequency response is that the frequency areas that it was boosting, it's going to continue to boost. Mm-hmm. The ones that it was cutting, it's going to continue to cut. And it's going to make whatever that sub is doing sound much worse, probably, than what... It, I mean, in theory, it could be fine, but... I it, suppose it, it, sheer luck, sheer luck could have might it get work you out. There. But right. I mean, imagine going back to the old days of the manual graphic EQ. Well, uh, imagine kid came along, moved all those sliders wherever, and then you just played it and you see what happens. That's, that's, that's what you're dealing that's with. That's what you're dealing with there. <laughs> all right, Jason. Jason used several of our recommendations back in 2015 to put together his current theater. The, overall, uh, the room overall is 12 and a half feet wide, 26 feet long, and 7 feet two inches tall with the drop tile ceiling with uh with uh, that's with the drop tile ceiling installed it's enclosed and totally light controlled there are partial walls at the back uh five feet from the back wall that sort of separates this area from where he keeps his gear from the seating area it's the room at the bottom right corner of whatever this diagram is okay i see so there's a little opening at the back of the room but it's yeah. you know whatever it's it, so the, this, it's this is the whole room an enclosed rectangle as far as the base is concerned you've got the entire 12 and a half by 26 yeah. uh, foot dimensions that you're dealing with because the air can totally move uh, but he's got this sort of, you know it would be a visual partition because there's these two walls that come in from the sides to sort of separate the back five feet of the room yeah. from the rest of the area looks yeah. like that everything's gray he's got 
you know, drop tile ceiling looks very nice. He's got a projector mm-hmm. and projection setup. It looks like it might be a pull down screen. Uh, that is at the moment. Yep. Yeah, uh, and uh, he's got some. It looks like a couple of SVS subs, cylinder subs. Yeah, couple there. of cylinder subs right there, looking like columns yeah, behind good. his seats. So yeah. we started with a Sony uh, VW40 projector, which is a 1080p projector, and a 92-inch retractable screen that he got from his brother-in-law. The primary seats are 11 feet from the screen. He just upgraded to a JVC NX7. He also picked up a Panasonic UB420 Ultra HD Blu-ray player. That's the one that is no, that was the one that is released, and his, and that yeah. and his PS4 uh, Pro are his main sources. The mount he was using for a Sony projector can handle the weight of his new JVC just fine, but the mounting holes do not line up, and it's not an adjustable mount other than swiveling left or right. With help from his father-in-law, Jason fa- uh, fashioned a metal adapter for the mounting holes, but the roll of the projector is not perfect, weighing down one side by putting a nearly two-pound book on top of the projector got the roll just. <laughs> About right. Okay. That's mm-hmm. one way to do it. I'm not going to say I haven't done similar things. I'm not going to say I haven't. <laughs> but I, putting more weight on your projector seems questionable. So outside of buying a new mount, do we think he could use something like uh, some small lead weights to be to be more discreet than the book? Yeah, I mean, you, anything's more discreet than that book. But um... <laughs> Well, I so, okay. I really want you to get a new mount. Yeah, yeah. Um, clearly, he doesn't want that to. That expensive. <laughs> but okay, let's, for whatever reason, getting a new mount is completely out of the question. What I would do, instead of dealing with weights to, I mean, literally what you're doing is kind of bending that mount yeah, in some yeah, way. Yeah, or yeah, like yeah. Repositioning can, the stock can of that. Can shim that side a little bit? Put a that's couple of washers saying, like, on you there? Get, that's right. You get some little metal washers that go in between the screws on... I mean, it looks like it's the right-hand side, right? That's what he's weighing down. It's very so you put some see, little yeah. some little metal washers, uh, you know, in between the, the nut that he's already screwed down to this piece of metal that he's fashioned uh, so that, you know, it's a, it's a little bit taller on the right-hand side, therefore lowering the right-hand side. So instead of dealing with it with weight, yeah, uh, use some metal washers as shims. Yeah, um, I think that's a better idea. Yeah. That's so what he's we considering a screen size upgrade, installing a fixed frame screen. He doesn't need acoustically transparent, and as long as uh, keeping his uh, speakers where they are is all right. His front left and right uh, Ascend CR2 speakers are one foot from each side wall, and the top of his center is two feet off the floor. So a 120-inch screen, uh, screen would just fit, and according to Projector Central, his current throw distance would be just fine, and NX7 should be able to deliver over 100 nets. So should he go for that size with a stand, with a standard white silver ticket screen with a more expensive screen be worth it somehow or should you get a a smaller size say 110 inch size um well i mean it's all about it's all about viewing at this point because the projector can do it the screens you know your room can handle it then it's really Mm -hmm. about is this actually what you want (laughs) you know because a lot of times uh we like we were just talking about with the the 75 inch oled for sports a lot of times you're like i can fit this thing in here let's put it in here and then you get it you're (laughs) like oh that's i mean what what i wanted (laughs) certainly do right now is just with everything as it is zoom your projector in up yeah. to the size where you go, oh, that's what I really, really like. Because you don't have that doesn't cost you a thing. You're just yeah. zooming in your. Yeah, it's going to overshoot your current screen, but that's not what this is about. about You're just yeah. going to see what well, here's the maximum size that I really, really like. 
measure it and that's the screen size that you get to me that's the easy one now what i will say is let's say it turns out he wants to go as big as he can while staying within the boundaries of his speakers you can go with the slim bezel um frames you don't have to go with the frame that's like two and a half inches deep uh the slim bezel ones do cost more but silver ticket does offer slim bezel options so if you're like man i'm literally two inches away from my absolute desired screen size i'm like well if the slim bezel gets you there then maybe you pay a couple hundred dollars more and get the slim bezel but yeah zoom in your projector right now and you can tell us what your favorite screen size is i agree because i wouldn't just buy this you know as is right uh not when you have the option of just figuring it out so he doesn't want to bog us down with nitty-gritty settings (laughs) but (laughs) he's the only one Wait a second. Wait for it. He already thinks this image looks excellent, but there, are there any obvious setting changes to be aware of with the NX7 in order to get the best performance? Does he need to hire a pro calibrator? Do you need to hire a pro calibrator? No, you don't. No, I don't think so. I mean, there are some really easy ones, which is like pick it picking which picture mode you are using. Uh, Now, in the case of the NX7, it isn't super intuitive because the natural picture mode is actually the best picture mode out of the box for standard dynamic range content. Uh, So try just switching to the natural mode. Now, the natural mode uses a 2.2 gamma. You are in a totally blacked out theater. Not everybody is, but you are. So you might want to just change that to 2.4. In a totally blacked out theater, a 2.4 gamma from a projector usually looks its best so that's two very easy settings for you to try literally the picture mode and one gamma setting when you get an hdr signal uh it will automatically go into hdr mode now the nx7 gives you two options because it gives you the standard hdr 10 mode and it gives you the frame by frame adaptive hdr mode use the frame by frame that's your dynamic tone mapping where it analyzes the signal frame by frame and adjusts so that you keep all the highlight deal detail and it keeps all the shadows visible. And it's like that you're done. <laughs> That's kind of all you need to do with this thing. All right. There you go. So there's, a, there's the option to use the physical color filter, which gets the projector to full DCI P3 color. But it lowers the outlight output. What do we recommend? Use it or not? Uh I think you are in an enviable situation where you can actually lower the light output and not have to, you're not going to suffer nearly Mm. as much because your room is completely blacked out. I mean, clearly you have the projector. Try it. See which one you like. Sure. See see if you like it or you think it's worth it, number one. Uh, I would probably opt for it, to be honest with you. I, I would probably opt for it. I mean, in theory, I would opt for it. The only reason I'm actually I'm actually going to say if it were me, I probably wouldn't use it is because without the filter, it hits like 95% of DCI-P3. Yeah. And the filter gets you to 99.8%. Yeah. And I'm like, for the 20% drop in light, I'm like, 95 is close enough to me. <laughs> that, I mean, if it, if it were... 80% without it and 99% with it. That's a totally different ball game. But because it already gets stupidly close without the filter, I'm like, I don't really care about yeah. the last 5%. So he plays a lot of games, but not competitively. There's a, there's a low input lag setting. Does he need to turn that on for gaming? Are you noticing an input lag when you're playing games? <laughs> well, that'd be tough because we are talking tens of milliseconds. But you know what? That The low input lag setting on the JVC, all it does 
is turn off frame interpolation if you normally have it on. That's all it does. If you use the normal picture mode and do not turn on frame interpolation, the soap opera effect, if you don't turn it on, the input lag is exactly the same as if you activate the low input lag mode. So... You Doesn't shouldn't matter. be using frame interpolation. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want the soap opera effect, and as long as it's off, it's not going to make any difference. So the JVC can do frame-by-frame frame analysis and adjustment of HDR signals, but he also has the HDR optimizer for his Panasonic UB420. Can they work together, or should one of them be turned off? One of them should definitely be turned off. Uh, no, no, no. You you can do this because what the Panasonic can do is make sure everything comes out at 1,000 nits, right? and the JVC will tone map a thousand it's oh, like okay excellently okay. i was thinking yeah that was not yes. I mean, you don't you don't have to because it has the frame by frame if you didn't use the hdr optimizer the jvc would still do a good job but it does like the best job it possibly can when the content is at a thousand nits and the ub420 i mean its default setting is to output a thousand nits so i'm like yeah just go ahead leave it there <laughs> So for 1080p content, does it matter which device does the upscaling to 4K? I mean, I wouldn't not think in this so. Case. I mean, not I, in this case. I mean, you're talking about like a, a very capable projector. I don't, a... I don't think he has a ton of choice. with like if, if he's talking about the Panasonic, the Panasonic, yeah. if you put it in auto resolution and you have a display that does 4K, it's just going to upscale everything to 4K anyway. Now, yeah. it does a great job of it, so that's no problem. Um, it really doesn't matter, though. It, yeah. <laughs> so, in the obvi- for, didn't he start this off with not bogging us down in nitty-gritty? That was in C. Well, not nitty-gritty. He wants the obvious, the big picture stuff. We're down to H. I know. Any obvious settings to adjust in the Panasonic player and in the, in the I, settings for the PS4 Pro? Go ahead. Oh, God, there's more. Uh, yeah, I know. Uh, the Panasonic player, I mean, out of the box, you pretty much got auto resolution. Uh, and actually, you know what? I'll refer you to the settings that we went through for the UB9000 because they're almost identical. I mean, the, you'll see for yourself where there's a few things that the UB9000 had that the 420 didn't. Uh, the main one is actually in the audio to just turn secondary audio off. That's kind of the main one. Uh, for the PS4 Pro... Um, Again, actually, there's like a video that uh, the folks over at HDTV tested that is specifically about how the PS4 Pro does handle HDR a little differently than you might expect. So I'll simply refer you to their video because it has all the pertinent information that you need. So HDTV test their PS4 Pro settings. So he's currently using a Denon S900W receiver with his 7.2 speaker setup. He he pre-wired for four overhead speakers, top fronts and top rears, but he hasn't installed any in-ceiling speakers yet. The receiver's old enough that doesn't handle all the 4K HDR HECP 2.2 video stuff, so he's sending audio separately and the video is going directly to his JVC. Should he continue to wait for HDMI 2.1 receiver models to come out, or should he hop on the Denon X6500H from Accessories for Less right now, or is there a better model than that for him to get? He's got 7.2. He's going to be 7. I mean, you could. You don't need the 6500. Why does he need the 6500? He could do this if he wanted to power everything from the AV receiver itself. No external amps. Because the 6500 has 11 amps built in. I, I don't... I mean, I think that you can go all the way down to what? Like the 3500 or whatever it 36. is? The 3600? The 3600 
you know, and you'd have to add at least two channels of external you could amplification. Get $100, for a hundred dollars, you could buy an amp. You could do that for a hundred, or for what is it like six hundred bucks? You could get like the Model Five Thousand from Outlaw and have a wonderful five-channel amp to power your most important speakers. And Don't go down the rabbit hole. Stay away Don't from go the too far hole. down the rabbit. That's as far as down the rabbit hole as I'll say to go. Is maybe the Model Five Thousand from Outlaw with either an X thirty five thirty six. God, we got to be careful. Either X thirty six hundred H or an X forty five hundred H. Either of which, even with the amp included, is less expensive than the X sixty five hundred. So that would be what you, assuming the JVC is what you're going to keep for a while. It doesn't have HDMI 2.1, so your receiver doesn't need to. Again, the only thing you might be using is 4K at 120 frames, which your projector doesn't do. So I think you're okay to so, buy now. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Yeah. He asks, is his room long enough that he should consider six overhead speakers? Is there anything more cost-effective than the Denon X8500H <laughs> that could even do six overheads? The answer to that question is no. Should he consider it? You should definitely consider it. And you should continue to consider it until receivers come down in price. And then you can actually contemplate it. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's my, that's it doesn't look like he has two or three rows of seating. So... I don't see a need for six overhead speakers. That's kind of just getting into doing it because it exists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which but, I understand yeah. is the type of thing I, I would try, but I, no. I, yeah. I would be okay with that. All right. Four overheads is down. fine. <laughs> I think we're going to do one more question and we're going to be done. I am. Oh, fading. man. <laughs> Zeke. Zeke says he's pretty new to the podcast. He's only been listening for five years. Uh, he says his room is nine by 11, nine feet by 11, that he has some acoustic treatments and curtains so that his room isn't super reflective. Some acoustic treatments and curtains are like totally separate things, but let's go on. He's got a single SVS PB1000 sub, and he's done a subwoofer crawl, so he's on the right track. But he really wants to feel the bass, and to get that, he runs the subwoofer very hot. Uh, the bass sounds a bit boomy and distorted this way, though, and he finds himself feeling ear fatigue. So is it the, that boominess and distortion that is causing his ear fatigue, and in which case, upgrading to an even better sub would help, or with even louder bass, even if it's just cleaner, uh, just lead to even more fatigue. Even if it's cleaner, would it lead to more fatigue? First of all, uh, that subwoofer is probably not distorting. <laughs> I, well, I'm, I mean, I, I do question a little bit. So, I mean, he says the room is 9 by 11, but is it 9-11 enclosed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or is yeah, this, yeah, 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 you've yeah, got yeah. a 9 foot by 11 foot area and it's actually open to a whole yeah. bunch of other air? Because, uh, I mean, that comes up all it, the time. That's what it feels like to me. First of all, he's got a PB-1000, which is a very large sub, in a 9 by 11 foot room. It takes up a ton of room. I mean, it, if, if that's an enclosed 9 by 11, there's no way... that room. The doors yeah, should flex. Output-wise, <laughs> that the PB-1000 is insufficient. That That is just not the case output-wise if yeah. it's an enclosed 9 by 11. That's what makes me suspect maybe this isn't an enclosed 9 feet by 11 feet. Perhaps it's open to a whole bunch right. more. Um, but, I mean, the, the question of... Is it the distortion and the boominess that's causing the ear fatigue? Is it just sheer SPL? I mean, it's all of the above. Yeah. You can have really, really clean distortion-free sound that is simply so loud that it starts to fatigue you. But you do tend to be fatigued more quickly if the sound is distortion-laden. If there's a lot of distortion in the sound, that does tend to fatigue you more quickly. So it's it's all of the above there. Um I mean, it sounds like what he wants most. I don't know. Maybe he's a car audio guy and he wants that. Like, maybe. I'm physically being kicked in my back and chest type it's of feeling. Butt kickers. 
Yeah, I mean, you could either do it with tactile transducers or what you really want is to not necessarily turn up all of the subwoofer's range. You would maybe want to build in an EQ peak at that, I mean, you'd go, what, 35 to 60 hertz? That's the that's the tactile kick you in the chest range. It's centered right around 40, 45 hertz is where it, it kicks you the most. That's the kick drum fundamental is right in the 40 to 45 hertz range. But you build in sort of a, an EQ peak because I think when you're trying to just turn up the volume overall, I mean, that is going to start to cause your distortion and boominess because it's all the bass frequencies, not just the tactile region. Yeah, I, I mean, I just, I just don't see an SVS sub, even the PB one thousand, pushing itself to the point where, you know where the the sub itself is distorting that much. I mean, I, I mean, it can at the at, at the absolute extreme peak of it, it does start to distort. I, I, I would guess that we're hearing distortion in another part of this frequent of the, uh, of another source, and that distortion could be. You know, things moving in the room could be that he's running other speakers full range, could be mm. other things that mm. are happening. Okay, so I'm going to assume that you have a PB-1000 in a 9 by 11 foot space of a infinitely large basement. And, right, uh, and, different and, thing. And, and you're trying to get that kick me in the chest feeling mm-hmm. out of this one sub, so you keep turning it up and turning it up and turning it up. And now it's very loud. Uh, and it's too, and it's you know it's rallying things in the room and it's just not very enjoyable. So what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to just physically move the sub closer to you, as close to you as possible, like right behind your couch or right next to the mm-hmm. couch, and just have it be physically close to you because that movement of air. First of all, this PB1000, if you are in a very large room, uh, part of which you're using. But if you're, it's never going to give you that sensation of being in a car or being in a true right. cinema, which has, you know, a literal wall of subwoofers at the front of the room, which is <laughs> its job is to just, you know, crush, you know, all the air in that space to, to give you that feeling. Uh, you're not going to get that from one subwoofer in a larger space. But you might get a little bit more of that feeling if it's helping shake the couch or shake the Mm. air right near you. So I would suggest you put it as close to you as you possibly can to see if maybe that helps. Uh, If you really want to have this experience, there is no substitution for getting the proper sub for your space. Right, Um, yeah, pure displacement. Yeah, but I mean, all of that is supposing that this is not an enclosed 9x11. Because if, it, if it's enclosed 9x11, there's no way the PB-1000 is insufficient in output. No. Um, you know, that would be something else. I mean, I do want to mention how a lot of times, if you've read the description of how to do a subwoofer crawl online, none of them tell you the right way to do it, which is to play a bass sweep on repeat. They all say something like, put on some bass-heavy music. Put on your favorite bass-heavy you know, music track and listen yeah, to that. It's like, no, it w- has to be yeah. a sweep. NWA. It has no. to be a sweep. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so if, you, if you didn't use a bass sweep on repeat, do that because it's entirely possible that you actually, through the subwoofer crawl, ended up putting your sub in a position where you have a bit of a dip right in the tactile range. Unbeknownst to you, well, that's actually what happened. He could, it's he, possible, I'm saying. Say I'm he's to listening to a song that has a bass note in it, which is most rap songs, mm-hmm. right? If you're listening to a rap song, right. it's going to have like, you know, a couple of bass, maybe two or three different bass notes in it that they play very loud and, rep- you know, on repeat. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've gone from, you've, you've done your subwoofer crawl and you're like, here is where it sounds the loudest. Right. 
and that's what how you ended up with right. your 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 placement well yeah maybe it is that in that spot that is a huge peak for that one yeah. or those couple of frequencies but everything else is not and yeah. those those are not you know necessarily the frequencies that you're hearing the most of yeah not so you switch to a, a different song with different notes yeah. and suddenly they aren't at the loud spot so yeah so we're covering all bases it's possible that playing a full bass sweep during the a subwoofer call might reveal that there actually is a better place. Tom's suggestion of you have the sub as physically close to you as you can so that just that sheer air displacement, that literal first movement of the of the woofer that's pushing air out of the way is physically slamming that air into your seat to give you some added tactile f- sensation there. And then, yes, let's make sure this is actually an enclosed 9 by 11 space. And then... If you've done all of that and you're still like, it's not hitting me loud enough, well, then you have to get some tactile transducers because apparently what you're going for yeah. is not really sound pressure. You're going for physical hit. Yeah, this is a, nine, a, this is a nine by 11 foot room and it's not, and this subwoofer isn't filling the room. Close the window or the door or right. yeah, you know, something. Something. Yeah, PB one thousand in enclosed nine by eleven. Then, yeah, no. Unless I don't know, maybe it's eighty feet tall. <laughs> right. <laughs> I live in a grain silo. <laughs> oh dear. You know, uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's take our listeners of the week. We've got, well. First of all, let's. Uh, what do we got left? We got. We got probably have for quite a few. Uh, we have more than when we started last week. Uh, so <laughs> I'll try to go through all these names. Damien D, who has a forever long question, as he always does. Mike M, Tom K, that was more of an update. Uh, John B, James S, Gerinder, uh, Bill B, Alvin C, let's see, Michael A, Josh S, and is there one more? I think there's one more. Paul T. There right. you go. Oh no, wait, Man- Manuel T is is down there too. There you All go. Right. Well, yep. Uh, yeah, we got through half. <laughs> Great. Let's go. Let's thank our listeners of the week. We're going to thank Roger for uh, going to uh, avrent.com and leaving us a PayPal donation uh, from our buy us a cup of coffee link, and thank our 106 patrons over at Patreon.com, including Jeff K, who says guilt and guilt alone forced him to give us money, which we That's will take. Right. Yep. We will take that guilt money. Thank you, Jeff, for being one of our 106 patrons over at patreon.com slash Podcast. Thank you, Roger, for the PayPal donation. We appreciate that. I want to thank Andrew for uh, supplying a uh, X-Wing model to our prize winner, our Patreon prize winner, Turn Toast. So thank you, Andrew, and uh, congratulations, Turn Toast, a.k.a. Joseph. That's right. Yeah, Andrew, thanks so much once again. And Joseph, enjoy that X-Wing model. For AV Rants, I'm Tom Andrew. And I'm Rob H. Now go out and listen to something. <laughs>